she said, take him from a land down under Where women glow and men thunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder, yeah You better run, you better take cover, yeah You better run, you better take cover Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cider Nation podcast, a unique baseball podcast brought to you by Jay Birdie Baseball Company. Get your Canadian baseball apparel at jbirdie.ca and make sure to follow them on social media. Today, we have former Dodgers left-handed pitcher Brent Stickle. Noel, thanks for coming on, Brent. Oh, no, my pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. This is This is fantastic what you've done. I guess first things first, could you talk to us a little bit about what sports looked like for you growing up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a, a town of about 250 people called Veteran Alberta, um, east of Stetler, about an hour, close to Saskatchewan border, and it's basically in the middle of nowhere. Um, sports, I mean, our family's a deep, deep sports family, so it was hockey first, and then uh, whatever else after that, baseball was second. So I lived and breathed sports and and hockey mostly and then you know you flip that switch when you're a little kid you're like okay it's baseball season can't wait then I didn't want to play hockey again so it was back and forth um but yeah uh I just played around central Alberta mostly um for my for my minor baseball career at that point you could get picked up to go uh double a and then you get picked up to go triple a and then you can pick up get picked up to go to westerns or or whatever it may have so i think i played with like 21 different minor league uh baseball towns over the course of my minor baseball career so um that's probably my my favorite memory of minor sports in general is just the baseball side of it and meeting so many people over the course of you know 12 or 13 years yeah. Uh, and just, and play Like we played, we played in every single province, anywhere from a two to triple a, and I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. Nice. Which is awesome. Yeah. Well, and then a little more specifically there, Brent, like baseball wise, kind of, what did it look like you recruiting wise kind of out of high school? Yeah, it was, um, so out of high school, I, I stuck around home and played. I felt like I, and my parents felt like, hey, you are from here. You need to stay here and play and help your town play. And I I was like, okay, I'll play. So out of high school, uh, you probably know Jay Steves. Um, yeah. He's from Spruce Shoe. He had a pipeline down to Minot State. Yeah. So I actually met him in Stetler and threw 20 or 30 pitches. And that was that was about it. So I got I got on with Minot State for a year. And I was young, right? I was 18 years old and didn't really understand like college baseball and college sports. So it was like deathly homesick, total mama's boy. Just trying to come back to the odd weekend here and there. And I, I didn't even get to play. I think I threw three innings and I said, you know what? I'm not going to go back there. The weather in North Dakota wasn't an advantage to me. And, and I wasn't taking it seriously enough either. So, uh, yeah, so I ended up leaving North Dakota and going to the UFC, which was probably the best decision I ever made. But I mean, Jay, Jay found me out of high school. I don't, I don't really know how or what happened, but 
nobody really took a chance on me in high school because nobody really knew who I was. I was this wild, hard-throwing, left-handed kid with long hair. And we're just like, no, I think we'll just take the the guy we know best. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I was it was mostly mostly luck that Jay came along that kind of put me on the map, I guess, when it comes to college sports out of high school. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was I was working at the veteran auction mart chasing cows at the time. I had taken the year off sorting cattle and branding cattle and doing that kind of stuff, farm stuff. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Well, then I always like to ask guys that kind of did both and played in US and Canada, like kind of what did you find the differences between, you know, like the CCBC and Minot State? Uh, Minot State, I mean, at the time we were, I think, the worst college baseball team in the history of NAI sports, I think is what it was. Like the actual worst record. I think 0-91 or something, <laughs> something ridiculous at that time. Um you lived in a dorm with a whole bunch of guys and a whole bunch of football players and football is the core sport in the States. Right. So yeah. Uh, baseball, hockey came second, but I think being in North Dakota is kind of an unfair, unfair comparison because there's so many Canadian kids down there. Um, and then you have the speech pathology program at Minot state too, which really is a huge Canadian draw. Uh, so, but like we played in the, like in the basketball stadium, we practiced in there in the winter times. And I remember putting my, like literally my one piece snowsuit to walk to practice, to practice in a basketball stadium. I'm like, really? Like I can do this in Canada somewhere. Yeah. And it just, it just didn't feel like the baseball was any better at, at that stage than it could be in Canada. Yeah. So I, I didn't really have the true American um experience like like a lot of guys do down south i was i felt like i was kind of in saskatchewan to be honest <laughs> yeah i found that in, like even when i was the head coach of the ufc and kind of recruiting you know guys had it stuck in their heads that they have to go to the states but then would end up going to like a juco in north dakota and you know mm -hmm. whatever is what it is but at the same time the ccbc is a lot better baseball i think than a lot of a lot of canadians probably give it credit for 100 percent yeah, it it really is. And and at that time when I was playing, um, when I came to the UFC, I think we only had like 13 or 14 players my first year. So I came as a pitcher and I was with like AJ Fisher was the head coach and um, Steve Sullivan, Sullivan was the assistant coach and Brendan McIndoe, all guys, you know, uh, yep. and like, like AJ and Steve were by far way better coaches than anything I had in the U S like by far. And you know, AJ, he's a guy's a bulldog, man. Yep, um, absolutely. And I, I went as a pitcher and, and he's like, did you play a position? I said, absolutely. I played outfield and pitched and played first base my whole life. So I ended up getting to play, play the outfield and play first base and pitch. And I think I sat four innings in four years at the UFC. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's, that's huge. Like yeah. if, you know, there's lots of these guys that go down to Kansas, remember, as POs, and I don't, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> well, and then did you play, uh, you played summer ball? Did you play, like, in the WCBL? I did. I played I played one summer in Medicine Hat. Okay. And I, I struggled um, pitching there. I, I didn't get a chance. They told me I was going to go as a 2A player, uh, and I had a really good college year, but 
Um, no, I, I didn't do well. Greg Morrison was the guy there. And yeah, we didn't necessarily get along that great. I mean, it, and it wasn't, it was mostly me, right. I'm just stupid and immature and whatever, <laughs> you know, goes <laughs> and not taking it seriously enough. And yeah. he's running a, he's running a program. It was no fault of his, but, um, I played, yeah, I played one year there. And then, uh, the next year I just, I just wanted to come home. I wanted to come back to the farm and play with the guys around home and play men's ball. And, uh, yeah. And I just ended up doing that. And it, it, that helped me more confidence wise being around home and doing real life things. So when I went back, it was like full bore ready to go. And then kind of how did it come across with the Vipers there, Brent? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was AJ. AJ put that all together. My last year I had, um, I don't remember what, I don't remember what my record was or what it was, but I was, I was playing two positions and, and pitching two. So I was kind of the ace that year. And I had, uh, I think Calgary agreed to come watch a game. So Berkey, Morgan Burkhart came to watch a game and I, Ended up striking out 17 guys that game, I remember. And I went three for four with two doubles and a bunt single and tried to run the first baseman too. So it was that was quite a game. And uh yeah, he just he just gave me a chance. Berkey gave me a chance to to go on the road to uh Kamloops. We played Victoria in an exhibition game, and I, I only got to throw one inning and I struck out the side. And nice. Um he he honestly kind of took me under his wing and said hey you're probably not gonna play a whole bunch but i want you to be on the on the roster and i want you to be with the guys and and learn from the the pro guys that we have like well you know them very well drew miller and joe surgent and red and and those guys and um i was was young and didn't really know what to do but i got a chance to pitch and i got a chance to play the outfield and i was so grateful for that one year in the in calgary we learned so much. We got we had guys that won World Series championships, and we had guys like Reggie. And like, you, is there any better pro than Reggie Rivard and Joe Serge <laughs> Drew Miller? Like yeah, those three are like, Those are the three of my favorite teammates of all time, and probably yours too. Yeah, that absolutely, definitely up there for me too. Yeah, like like Reggie, really? Like, why are you doing push-ups in the outfield while you're on the bus? <laughs> Catching fly balls with his bare hands in the outfield, and he has to start the game in 20 minutes. Oh, He's yeah, just a, yeah, amazing. Uh, that definitely brings me back, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he never yeah. missed a round of BP either, and probably sawed off several bats in BP. <laughs> so, no, it was it was amazing. It was a good experience. We uh, we had went on a little bit of a downturn that year, I think, if you remember right, and we we went on, I think it. 10 game losing streak at one point and i mean a, l- a little story uh joe surgeons and and the guys we had lost a bunch so we decided to have a sacrifice in the bullpen at foothill stadium so we we dug a hole in the right field bullpen and everybody threw their their favorite thing into that hole and we all threw like a sock or a pen or a whatever joe throws his glove in there like his, his his glovey pitches with, and we started on fire. He's like, burn it. <laughs> we, we burnt his glove on Foothill stadium. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world. And we had this little powwow dance and 
I think we lost two more games and then we figured it out. Huh. So yeah, we, yeah we, we did a similar thing with the University of Calgary. Actually, we you know basically that exact same thing. Probably Drew copied it and. <laughs> kind of worked maybe we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i think drew's batting gloves are probably still under the ground there <laughs> no, it was it was it was the coolest thing like when i when i first came to the vipers and we went to play in Kamloops, aaron boone or not aaron boone uh brett boone was the manager of the victoria seals at the time oh yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah and i was just a kid when brett boone was playing with the mariners and like booney was smashing bombs and you know all jacked up and flipping the bat and i'm like oh my goodness that guy's 90 feet away from me and this is the coolest thing so no i was it was by far the best year of baseball in my life nice yeah yeah i drove by uh foothill stadium the other day and it's hard to believe that that was a professional field now hey it's unfortunate but um sad right yeah very sad i just wish honestly i wish they would just actually like tear it down like they keep talking about it but um Nothing seems to happen, but I just wish they would just get out of the way and not drive by it anymore. <laughs> pull the pull the bandit off, guys, and yeah. move on. I mean, we've all had so many good memories in that place, and yeah, I think I was in college, my second year of college, when you guys when you were playing with the Vipers, and yeah. that's kind of like what motivated me to to drop down sidearm was was watching you pitch. And I'm like, oh, I, this guy's a Canadian guy. He's pitching this league. And yeah. And then we were cleaning the bleachers for you guys for an extra 50 bucks a week or something. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. No. Yeah. yeah. I remember. <laughs> well, and, and I guess, yeah, that was going to be kind of my next question there, right? Like, like kind of, you know, with being Sidearm Nation, you ended up kind of dropping down. Was it, did you drop down at UFC a little bit or was it more like what, after you signed with the Dodgers? Well, it was, it was my dad. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was a, you know, low nineties guy kind of scouted by the Mets. Nice. Our farm kid through yeah. and through long hair. Nolan Ryan was his guy. Um, angry. And he threw from three different arm slots and threw three pitches from our three arm slots. And I okay. just tried to learn from him when I was younger. I never threw sidearm until I got ahead. Oh, two. And then I would try and against a righty, I would try and drop down and, and zip one in there. Um, but then I, again, I watched you pitch for the Vipers in, I think it was 2000 and I want to say 2008, 2009. Um, yeah, I was, I guess I was with them. Oh, six, oh, seven, oh, eight. Definitely. Oh, seven was my best year. Like when I made the Northern league all-star game and yeah. 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 That would have been the same year that, that I watched you do that. And then I ran into Joe Surgent, um, my first year with the Vipers and, and I was like 84 to 87, maybe with a really good curveball over the top. And I was still doing that, you know, Oh, two sidearm thing. And, um, he, uh, he's like, why don't you just do that all the time? Mm. I'm like, I, I don't know why, like, why would I? So we stood out there for, um, I can't remember his name. Dylan, Dylan. Uh, he's from Manitoba. You know who he is. Oh, Good buddy. Yeah, the catcher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, O'Crane. Yes, Dylan O'Crane. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. He he wore one for me, big time. Like <laughs> doing a flat ground. I'm trying to figure this out. We, Joe and I, were out there for probably 45 minutes or an hour, and I probably threw 
I don't know, 135 pitches and they were all over the place and he had no gear on. And he's just like, get me out of here. This is a freaking joke. And, uh, and he hung in there for me and Joe worked with me. And that's when it just, that's when I stuck it. And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm better down here. There's more movement. Um, it's easier. It's more effortless. Uh, and I, I'll figure this out. And it wasn't so hard on my arm. Like I, I was three, four days minimum thrown over the top to get back to being able to throw again. And I could throw day after day after day. Yeah. Uh, sidearm. And I still, I still probably can. Um, but yeah. I went from, I went from 84 to, to like 92 to 95, just from that arm slot change. Wow. <laughs> So it, it just made sense for me, but I mean, there's some trying times for Mr. O'Crane for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan, if you're ever listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I definitely like there was day. Yeah, there was periods with the Vipers. I was going like four or five days in a row. And I, I, I honestly don't think I could have done that over the top for sure. I definitely had some shoulder issues and um, yeah, I don't think I could have done that over the top. No, no. And and you think that, you know, you've been told your whole life, you got to throw over the top. You got to do this. Keep your fingers on top of the ball, <laughs> your natural way of doing it. And yeah. it like that, you know, what pisses me off the most is that that wasn't the natural way for me to throw my entire life. And it took me 20 some years to figure out that I should have been throwing this way the entire time. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's funny. Like, even like, I remember I dropped down like, twice at like my my juco and like my pitching coach just tore a strip out of me and I, I like well it felt good but like and actually was successful with those two pitches but he was like no you're you're that's not who you are but like looking back I'm like well maybe it, you know I mean it was in pro ball right but <laughs> yeah yeah well Interesting. what would have happened like location wise and command wise and even like and movement wise and trying to figure out the pitches what would have happened if you did it at 14 yeah you know and that's what i that's what i i wish i would have done earlier consistently yeah and that's where even just as a pitching coach now i'm you know obviously very open to guys having different arm slots and you know youth pitchers obviously you know like the biggest thing is if they're still using their lower half right but i mean it, it definitely gets a bad rap as far as youth coaches i mean i'll i still deal with that but i mean I don't know. I mean, hitters are trained to face, you know, the usual over the top arm slot, right? So, I mean, as much as the base, the game's going velocity, right? There's always going to be mm-hmm. a need for for guys to be funky. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at some of the guys even that you've had on your podcast, uh, Rogers from San Francisco, I yep. believe, the one guy on there. Like, yep. does it get any crazier than that? No, I know. <laughs> And he throws like 81 or 82 miles an hour, but you yep. can't, you can't pick that thing up or hit it. And he just makes guys look silly Yep. and, and good on him to figure out because he would not be there if he was throwing the same as everybody else. He'd nope. be at home. Nope, definitely not. I mean, you know, and look at his twin brother. That's the exact opposite lefty throwing like 97. <laughs> yeah. This is a, it's the craziest thing. And, and who's more successful. I mean, it, I don't know that one's more successful than the other, but yeah, they both are they both are weird with exactly polar opposite things going on. <laughs> so no, it's 
I'm I'm so thankful to Joe. I just seen Joe at the Silver Lake Golf game the other day, and and I, every time I see Joe, I, he always gives me the time of day, and he always says hi and gives me a hug, and um, I'm I'm so thankful for him being so patient. And I I went in the game a couple times, the Vipers, and I sucked bad. You know, Berkey didn't really say much, and uh, Mike Snyder was the coach at that time. And he's like, just stick with it, man. No problem. No big deal. And you're always thinking in that league, you're three pitches away from getting released. And this being oh, all yeah, it's a revolving door. A hundred percent. And I watched it happen. Guys coming from Mexico and who knows where and this place. And here comes another lefty from the St. Paul Saints. And he don't last. And why am I still here? Yeah. But uh, they, they stuck with it. And Joe kind of just, helped me all the way through it. And yeah, it was, they were, they were the best. They were the best. Nice. For sure. Well, and then after the Vipers there, Brent, you end up uh, signing with the Dodgers. Like how did that kind of all come about? Yeah. So, um, well, Shane Doan is my first cousin. So my mom and his mom are sisters. And I'm sure you know who Shane Doan is, the former yeah. captain of the Arizona Coyotes. And Shane yeah. is about probably the, nicest most giving person you've ever met in your life um and he he's like oh he came and watched me pitch in tucson and then i went back with him from tucson and stayed with him when i was with the vipers for a couple days and then we ended up flying out of phoenix or something um as a team so they let me go and uh and he's like well why don't why don't you see if i maybe i can pull some strings and maybe i can get you a tryout with uh with a major league ball club and I'm like, oh sure i mean whatever you can do that and he's like well my my agent is a former major league pitcher his name is terry bross i said okay so i had come home back to veteran and i was uh i don't know what i was doing nothing good probably and throwing rocks into the river and he he called he said hey i got you a i got you a trial with the dodgers i'm gonna get you a flight and I'm going to get you out here and you're going to throw, you're going to throw a bullpen for the LA Dodgers. And I'm like, Whoa, that's amazing. Okay, cool. And so I left with a, you know, three t-shirts and expecting just to come home again. And, um, I threw, I think I threw like four pitches, just so nervous. And I had decided so to pitch. I had the, the minor league coordinator standing on one side of the batter's box and I had Don Mattingly standing on the other side of the batter's box. <laughs> So, and I have, and I've warmed up a little bit, but I'm just freaking out. And I zing the first one eye high between Don Mattingly and the the Jean guy. And I'm like, oh man, this is not good. I'm just freaking out. Right. I said, I settled in and I threw, I I threw three or more 90, it was like 92, 93, 94 good pitches. And they just, they got out of there and I'm like, I guess it's over. So they said, (laughs) okay, you're done. You're good. I'm like, well, I said, sorry guys, but I flew all the way here from Alberta. I'm going to finish up here and, and I'm going to throw a bullpen. And they're like, okay, well, whatever, go ahead. So they all laughed and, uh, and they came back after I threw about 87 pitches and they said, uh, I don't really know why you did that. We were going to sign you after four pitches, but now you're screwed for the next two or three days because you threw such a big side. So now we got to try and work out your visa and all that kind of stuff. We'd like to sign you. I'm thinking like, oh man, why did I do that? And now I'm not going to be able to pitch for a couple of days. So yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it happened. And I mean, Shane, Shane set it all up and 
I mean, I, I think I signed for, I don't know, whatever it was, 1500 bucks in a plane ticket or something. Just happy to be able to go. It didn't matter at that point, but um, I jumped into, I jumped into, no, it was fall. It was the Arizona fall league at that time. Yeah. So I stuck around for a couple of weeks and then they said, Hey, you're going to go to, you're going to go to Venezuela and you're going to go play winter ball in San Joaquin, Venezuela. And I had like no idea. <laughs> right. And just never been anywhere. Just a sheltered farm boy. And I don't even know where that is. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't have, I don't have anybody. I don't have a girlfriend. I have nothing. So I'm just going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go. So Shane got me some clothes and met at the airport and off to San Joaquin, Venezuela. I went. How was that there, uh, Brad? I, I guess I played winter ball in Colombia and it's definitely an interesting experience, winter ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> like some of the stories I could tell you that not everybody <laughs> probably needs to hear, but it's just like, why do minor league teams send their players over there? And I think now they've stopped doing it. I think, am I right? I, th- I think they have. It's definitely, I think Columbia is actually growing. Like, like it's actually their league's gotten a little more. Um, yeah. Venezuela, just with kind of what's going on over there. I'm not sure kind of what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So we we got there it was me and uh, a guy named Jeff Hunt. He was from Toronto, um, third baseman, really good player, and then a guy named Chris Jacobs. And Chris Jacobs is uh, six foot seven, two hundred and eighty pound black guy. They're right from I think he's from like Louisiana or something. Like just a huge mountain of a man, and you've never seen home runs hit so far. But uh, <laughs> we were on the plane to Venezuela and. And it was like, we flew out of Miami and I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, you got all the Spanish speaking people, which I've never really been around a whole bunch other than with the Vipers. And then, you know, you get to the airport and they're like, don't talk to these police officers. They're fake police officers. They're impersonators. They'll steal you and take you away and hold you for ransom. And I'm like, great. So I don't talk to anybody. You go up to the gate. Uh, they hand you an envelope. And this is not a lie. And I hope the guy that sent me there is listening. They hand you an envelope with a hundred or 200 bucks. I don't even know what was in it. Um, cash. They hand it, you hand it to the, the guy in the airport. And he says, okay, come this way. You go around the metal detector and all of the customs and all the things. And you come out another door and you're just, you're in Venezuela. <laughs> no one knows you're even in the country. We have like, nobody knows what's going on. Um, and there's a van waiting there for you. Nobody can speak English. And it was by that time, it was just me. The other guys went in a different van and I'm like, like, I, do I get in this van or do I not? Like, is this one of those guys they told me not to get in with? So you jump in this van and you head for the jungle. And we were, we were in the jungle. Like we were, we were right in the jungle. It was a five hour, I think it was a five hour van ride. You thought to your death. And uh, you pull in this crappy little uh, South American town, and um, yeah, there's I think there's sixty of us in a compound at that time. Yeah, because I was playing with the minor league team, the Laguida Tipperotis minor league team. Um, young guys, you know, just young guys trying to make it, man. And that's this is the craziest thing to me now that I look back at it is you have fifteen to eighteen year old kids just desperately trying to get out of that country to go to America and play baseball. 
Yep. And, and they'll do whatever it takes. Like, you know, you got, you got guys shooting up steroids that are 15, 16 years old and guys are working out like madmen trying to get out of there. And I always asked him, I said, why do you guys do all that? And he says, he says, you don't want to live here. This is no place to live. Hmm. I'd raise a family. So, you know, it was, uh, it was crazy. It was the craziest thing I've ever had happen to me. I had no money. I had no currency. I couldn't speak the language. You know what exactly what it's like, probably. Um, yeah, it was you go there with a, yeah, <laughs> you go there with a pair of cleats and a baseball glove and, and see how you do. And, and I absolutely shoved for 25 innings. I didn't give up a run. I don't think. Nice. And yeah. And then I got called up to play with the big league team and we had, it was in, um, it was in Caracas. So La Guaida is kind of like Alberta and Caracas is kind of like Calgary. And okay. you shared a, you shared a stadium, Caracas yeah. and La Guaida. And, uh, and they hated each other. And the first game I got to be a part of was Caracas against La Guaida. And, uh, and you walk in the, like you walk into the dressing room and it's, it's Greg Holland at that time. Um, Victor Zambrano, um, a center fielder for San Francisco for years. Oh man, I can't remember his name, but all the girls loved him. Um, you know, there, it was, there was Oscar Salazar was our captain. He was an unbelievable guy. K-Rod had just left. Um, he had got hurt. So he had just left to go home, but he was from there. So you had all these big league guys and, and, uh, and American guys. And you just, you look around and you think, what are you doing here? Like, this is madness. And there's nobody in the stadium at this time. And then you come out to play the game and I'm like, I wasn't even on the roster to start and they, and they're like, this is why. And the whole place is just going bananas. Yeah. And you know, you, you probably remember the wiki wiki in the stands and throwing, you know, Mickey bottles around whiskey, whiskey <laughs> bottles around and beers flowing and you got cheerleaders and yeah, uh, a band and all kinds of stuff going on. You're like, wow, what is this? And there's 35,000 people. Yeah. And they're like, watching the game. Hey, like that, that's the oh, biggest yeah. thing I remember, like from Columbia, like they don't take a break. Like it's like, they're getting their money's worth and they're going to let you know if you do poorly. And oh, but that's absolutely. also, that's also why a lot of guys say like, in order to get ready for the bigs, like, I mean, a lot of guys recommend going to winter ball for sure. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I asked, I asked Greg Holland at the time and Greg was just kind of coming up, I think at that time with Kansas city. And I said, like, like that guy lives, he lived in like a trailer park. I swear. I swear. He told me he lived in a trailer park in Louisiana, I believe. Um, at the time he said he was getting $10,000 us an inning. Wow. So he's like, I have to be here. We all know what it's like, what you get paid in the minor leagues. So yeah. So he was there and he was just hating life, um, but loving life at the same time. Cause he was just absolutely carving guys up. Nice. Um, but, but like it, it's a, it's the craziest thing. Like there was a barbed wire fence right through center fields through the bleachers and you didn't dare cross into that territory. <laughs> no, <I bet. laughs> and well, I don't know if it happened. It was Gregor Blanco. That was the center fielder. Um, okay. The girls would jump over the fence, like the wall. And they go run and, and kiss all up on him and rub all up on him. He just take it. And the security guards from the dugouts 
would let German shepherds off of these ropes and they would chase the people away from him. And the people would barely get back over the wall and those German shepherds are going to eat him to death. Oh, wow. And you're just like cheering. You're cheering for the people because you're like, okay, I don't want to see this dog kill you. And uh, it was just like nothing you've ever seen before. (laughs) Nuts. <laughs> well, and then uh, I guess kind of like after Venezuela, though, like kind of went to training camp or spring training with the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, went to spring training with the Dodgers. I I pitched really, really good in spring training, um, <laughs> and uh, I, like I, I, don't, I didn't give up a hit. I didn't give up a hit in spring training at all, and I I was really confident. I went down to. I ended up in low A with the uh, Great Lakes Loons. And I just, I couldn't get the ball to move in Michigan for some reason. Mm. And I, you probably know what it's like where, you know, in certain places, the ball just seems to flatten out. Yeah. And I could not get my sliders spin to, to break. Um, I remember I gave up a home run to Nick Castellanos and it should land at MGM Ford and Red Deer any day. <laughs> It was just an absolute tank job. And and I I gave up four or five broken bat singles to left-handed batters. And I was in there to get left-handed guys. And there was a, you know, I just had some really bad luck. And I got sent down to um down to rookie ball to try and figure it out. And I pitched amazing rookie ball in Phoenix. The ball was moving three and a half feet each direction. Um Matt Hurgis was our pitching coach. Uh he was the best guy, pitching coach, um, so confident and had all the faith in the world in you. And then I ended up in uh, Ogden, Utah to play with the Raptors at that time. And I think they're gone now. Um, But yeah, I I played with them for 10 games, didn't pitch well, pitched okay. And then I got sent back down to rookie ball again. And I stayed there the rest of the year. And honestly, I was so happy to stay there because of Hergy and, and the guys that we had there and being at the complex. And um, yeah, we ended up winning our rookie ball championship, minor league championship. Nice. First time, I think in uh, like 27 years and within the Dodgers organization that they had won a minor league championship of any kind. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a huge learning curve for me, honestly. And I wish I had got to play at a higher level my whole life. When you get to a place like that, you don't understand what you need to do, you know, whether it's holding runners or, you know, pitching out or um, just all that kind of stuff that was so felt like it was so far over my head Mm. that I, that I didn't have, I wasn't qualified to be there at some points. I didn't think I, I had the stuff, but I, I didn't, pitch well enough and the the game came too fast for me Mm. in low a like like i had i had to play against billy hamilton jeff (laughs) billy hamilton stole second third and home off of me in four pitches (laughs) the same like it was just it was nuts and i didn't know i was a one six to the plate or i didn't know any of that kind of stuff i'm from veteran just throw the ball hard so but yeah, and then I ended up I ended up getting released that year, and honestly, I was I was I was almost grateful that I had because I just played so much baseball from my 
last year college all the way through the minor leagues and then um playing winter ball and then spring training and like i just didn't have a break so um and i thought i thought hey oh well, whatever they gave up on me i'll go try with somebody else and i i didn't get picked up again by anybody else and i, I ended up in the pecos league in new mexico oh, i boy. played for the- <laughs> man don't know oh, the pecos league yeah did you you know the Pecos League? Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. Did you play in the Pecos League? No, I never played in it, but definitely just, you know, kind of, you know, with with just the baseball world the past seven, eight years. Yeah. Seems like an interesting league. <laughs> yeah. And and that was all my mom. Like my mom and dad pushed me so hard to go back and and I wanted to I wanted to go because they were so invested in me and so wanted me to do so well and they knew that i could and i just um i end up <laughs> this league and playing for the roswell invaders and i mean oh, yeah. google google <laughs> the roswell invaders jerseys they're the worst thing you've ever seen and uh yeah i was living with the coaching staff i think for a couple weeks and um i yeah it was absolutely hilarious <laughs> to be a part of it <laughs> we stayed in an insane asylum jeff Oh wow! Like a we, I stayed on a gurney for three nights, and that was our hotel because we couldn't afford hotels for the team. Uh, so was it free, we was put, it free at least. Uh, yeah, freed us. <laughs> yeah, it was, and you had to shower with bags on your feet because oh, the roaches were coming out of the tub. <laughs> but oh, it was so bad. So I, my thirty-five dollar check bounced, and I got out of there. And I said, you know what? I got to go home. I need to make a life and and go do something with myself. So, yeah, that was that. That was the end. I left my cleats on the mound. I mean, yeah. I don't even remember where it was in New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, got the hell out of there. So, yeah. Well, kind of after that, there, Brian. Like, did you did you play like kind of like riggers or like senior men's, or were you kind of done? Or no, I played for the I played for the riggers for. So long ago, I think like three or four years, and um, we won a we won a provincial championship. Um, you know, playing with guys like Dav and Jason, and we had Jason and Jarrett, and you know, all those guys, Kerry Boone, and and yeah. that group of guys, and Joel Peterman, who's another sidearm guy. Yeah, um, we had a really good team, really really good team. In fact, I think our riggers team was as good or better than our low A team. <laughs> with the Dodgers. Nice. So good. Um, yeah, so I played there, pitched for them for, yeah, I think it was three or four years. And then I hurt myself against St. Albert, hurt my shoulder. Uh, just, you know, not taking care of myself and kind of the dream feels like it's over. So, uh, yeah, the last thing I remember is Jesse Belay hitting an awful home run off of me. And um, I, that was about it after that. <laughs> <laughs> which was which was totally fine you know i had a good run i felt like and then kind of coaching wise did you get into kind of that world or yeah i did yeah i i coached the the bantam triple a braves in 2019 2019 i believe yeah um and that was that was like the first major kind of commitment to coaching that i had had i mean i 
helped with the with the dinos a little bit and i coached in uh oyen at the baseball academy down there for a little bit but this was a full-time summer job and and i like i dove headfirst into it and i'd never done it and man we had so much fun it was we had the greatest group of kids and we were good like really good i think i think i think eight of those kids have gone on to to play baseball down south or even in the ccbc um which is a really big number and and just back to the guys that you meet like the guy that i met that just sticks out the most is brian muir he's uh you probably nobody knows who this guy is he's like a i don't know the name sounds familiar-ish but yeah he's like don't necessarily know yeah (laughs) he's from delburn he's 45 or 50 years old and he just called me up one day and he's like hey do you need an assistant coach i'm like uh yeah sure i don't actually know who you are so come over to my house we'll have a beer we'll talk about it i have a cage in my shop and well like i want to see if this guy's actually legit and it was like five minutes i'm like oh my goodness who is this person this guy's unbelievable and uh i i would say he's probably top five hitting coach baseball coach in in the like in the country Hmm. he's just a farmer from delburn and he just like i was throwing to him in the cage and i was throwing hard left hand and he was a left-handed batter he is just smashing baseballs off of me so glad he wasn't around (laughs) when i played but we the kids had the kids honestly say now it was the best year they've ever had playing baseball um and that's that's huge as a coach as you know yeah, makes you feel pretty good about yourself. And yeah. um, the last three that we coached finished up this past weekend. Red Deer uh, Midget AAA Provincials, and they didn't have the right outcome that they wanted. But in the same sense, yeah, that kind of era is over and over for me too. Coaching my little kids now, it's uh, yeah, it's different for me, absolutely. And then you kind of mentioned uh, Joel there. Like, did you have many other teammates that were sidearm submarine pitchers? Yeah, we had. Um, yeah, PD was PD was like the big sidearm guy that I remember the most because it's the most recent. But um, there was a guy that I played with in in rookie ball. He was his last name was West. Uh, he was our closer, and he was just a kind of a short little frumpy guy, and threw like eighty four, eighty five, and. And you, as soon as it got to Westy, the game was over because nobody could touch him. And it was just the craziest thing. He didn't throw hard. He wasn't big. And he just threw Frisbees at those guys and they couldn't hit it. And like he had the craziest, craziest Frisbee slider, like Joe Thatcher. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And that's, that's what I remember the most about him. There was, um, you know, there's, you play with so many people like you did, Jeff, that you you don't remember all of them. But um, Andrew DeMott was like the first submarine guy that I actually really played with. And you okay. probably remember Andrew DeMott from the Vipers. Yeah, I definitely remember the name. Like he, he, was, he wasn't there when I was there, but I've definitely heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he was a righty submarine guy, like real like knuckle dragger. Yeah. And he was he was the first guy and, and that was, that was cool to see somebody go in there and kind of throw like 76 to 81 and just make big league guys and triple A guys just look silly. <laughs> and I, I still can't believe it. And he's still pitching 
and he's still throwing the same speed and he's 50 pounds heavier and still making guys look dumb. Yeah. Like, like we talked about earlier, right. It's, it's funny how like, you know, it's, and I get asked this all the time with Cyber Nation, like about velo and gaining velo and I get it. Right. But at the same time though, like I actually pitched better when I was like throwing slower and just, I don't know, like just keeping the hitters off timing. Right. And like, but when I, when I was throwing harder from that slot though, it would flatten out and that's where I was yeah. getting in trouble. Totally. I was way better at 88 than I was at 93. Yeah, just, for sure. I believe that. Yeah. Two seamer, the two seamer at 88 was way better. 93 was not, you know, it had that kind of that flat, almost two seam, um, like change up kind of movement to it. And 88 yeah. was just like, just throw it down the middle. Yeah. Nobody's going to hit it. But if they do, they're just going to pound it in the ground. And it's, it's the hitters perceive velocity too. And I try and tell guys like, you know, that 88 from your lower slot is actually honestly going to look like 93, 94 to the hitter. I mean, at the same time, your 94 is going to look like 98 from that slot, but it's just a matter of like what you need, right? You know, to be mm-hmm. successful, right? So, you know. Well, and, and your, your 88 mile an hour sinker, two seamer, and then you throw a 78 mile an hour changeup that has the exact same yeah. movement to it with the same spin, like, and I didn't learn to change up early enough from that arm slot. And I'll tell you, your guys that listen to this and I cannot stress enough. And you had a wicked one. Um, the change up is so important from that arm slot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I had a good one over the top and it took a while to kind of get comfortable throwing it from down under. It definitely, it's one of those pitches though, just to, especially for me to keep like the, like the right-handed hitter kind of off balance, mm. like lefty, lefty, I could get away with slider, but Especially, yeah, especially righty. I needed that changeup. Yeah, and that that was the best pitch to right-handers too, wasn't it? Like you just, and it didn't seem to matter where you threw it. Like you could throw it belt high and end up on the outside part of the plate, being a sidearm lefty guy. Yeah. You could accidentally hook it once, and it would cut and end yeah. up on the two tops by accident. Like it was just the weirdest thing. And um, <laughs> yeah, and and then I ended up throwing a split finger from down there too, and it was huh. yeah, that was it was crazy but it it worked really good as well huh yeah it's definitely a pitch you don't see as much from down there no and it had more like the splitty usually just falls off the table and it had more uh like almost screwball action to it Hmm. interesting it was it was fun to throw like you know you throw it especially if you throw it to lefties yeah it starts on the inner half and guys are busting bats and looking silly and that's the best part about throwing sidearm is making guys look silly. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, I mean, like just when guys would kind of, you know, jog behind the the mound after rolling over on a ground ball or something. Right. And like, you know, guys would kind of tell me like, you know, why don't you throw a fastball? But like, I mean, <laughs> I'm you might be able to hit that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't hit anything else all game. I'll just keep throwing you those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a good thing. Um I'm glad to see there's more and more guys and that you expose more and more guys even for themselves because you know, it's kind of a small tight-knit little community that that we all have. And you listen to you know, you listen to guys like Ari Dickey talk about his knuckleball. I love I love listening to Ari Dickey. I can listen to him all day. He's so intelligent. Um and he just talks about 
like Tim Wakefield and Charlie Huff and guys like that. And they all just kind of always called each other and talked to each other and, Hey, how'd you do this? And how'd you do that? And I think you have to kind of be like that yeah. with each other as, as sidearm guys, whether it's submarine sidearm, anything like that. So. Yeah. The camps have definitely been pretty fun to do and just to kind of, it's almost just, you know, part of it, you know, obviously the instructor is awesome to have them out, but I think a lot of guys like just to be around like other sidearm submarine pitchers is pretty beneficial too. And kind of realize that they're not necessarily like alone in a bullpen per se. Hey, and it's, it's definitely. Totally. Been- well, and you, and you even see like in my, my U 11 team this year, um, we had some guys that like threw kind of sidearm and the other guys are like, well, you, you can't throw like that. You're not supposed to throw like that. And you hear the dads from those stands, yeah, get on top of it. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, just don't let them do it. Just yeah. let it happen naturally. And our ace was a right-handed sidearm kid. And like, it's like a bowling ball coming in there. Yeah. And if it works for him, just let him do it. Like really. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not sore. He uses his legs and you know, all that kind of stuff. Nice. It's fun to see at that age. I hope nobody messes them up. Yeah, yeah. No, then, Brad, it's just time for a ninth inning call to the bullpen. So just going to be some random questions just to learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, favorite NHL team? Oh, I'm a diehard Oilers fan. Now Now that Shane's done with the Coyotes, I'm uh, I'm an Oilers fan. But and Shane's son is with the Coyotes, Josh Doan. So I have a fear that... I'll be back on the Coyotes train. That's not good, as you know. But yeah, I'm I'm a straight up Oilers fan. Uh, All time favorite travel destination? <laughs> not San Joaquin, Venezuela. I'll tell you. No, <laughs> no going back. Uh, I'd have to say I'd have to say Amsterdam. Honestly, yeah, nice. Uh, cool, cool place. Bikes. Um, uh, the history. The Anne Frank House uh the nightlife it's it's an unbelievable place to go uh all-time favorite professional wrestler oh well that's pretty easy it's got to be stone cold doesn't it <laughs> right like um i was uh, a huge stone you know, cold fan <laughs> i loved yeah, his he definitely had his 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 era when he came in there hey it definitely changed things a bit <laughs> yep yeah and everybody loved the you know, Brett the Hitman Hart being a Canadian guy too. So I always I always pulled for him. Yep. Uh favorite baseball movie of all time. Um I it's tough. Like Major League and a league of their own are <laughs> they're like a tie. Like yeah. Tom yeah. Hanks is an absolute gem in a league of their own. Yeah. That was my, that's my mom's favorite movie, and we've watched it so many times together. So uh yeah, I'd have to say a league of their own. And then just kind of the next three here, Brad, like just if you could kind of go with, uh, you know, anyone dead or alive. Um, yeah, it really can be anyone. But like the first one would be like to an MLB game. Uh, like where would I rather go? Where's my ultimate place to or, go? Or, yeah, or like who would you like to go to an MLB game with? Anyone oh. dead or alive? Uh, most definitely my my mom and dad uh, alive. Uh, dead, dead. My grandfather, my grandpa Albert LRB was a uh, diehard baseball guy. So I'd have to, I'd have to stay within the family for sure. Yeah. And then uh, round of golf with. 
Oh, um, I'd honestly love to go play another round of golf with Dan McIntosh. I don't know if you know Dan. Yeah, yeah we did long drive against each other. <laughs> yeah, me and Dan played college baseball together in Calgary, and he's earned uh, earned quite the reputation. So I'd like to I'd like to <laughs> golf with him again one day. So if you ever listen, Danny, I'll get you. No, could, he, I, could Dan play I, baseball? I, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 he was an unbelievable hockey player. <laughs> yeah, he could swing it. He's strong as an ox. He yeah. couldn't throw a baseball 60 feet. He was a terrible thrower. It's like horrible. It's like he's throwing a pie, but he can fly too. He's a, he's a really, really good athlete and a pile of fun. And then for like a round of drinks at the bar. Oh, um, I have to say Kevin Costner. Yeah. I think, I think that guy's, probably the most handsome interesting man i've ever laid eyes on isn't he he's something <laughs> just, <laughs> him, just does everything <laughs> him and blake shelton <laughs> yeah those are my those are my two go-tos for sure and then brand if you could be an olympian in any sport other than baseball summer or winter what sport would you like to do oh hockey for sure i just Wanted to be the goalie in the gold medal game so many years. Just wanted yeah. to be that guy. I always wanted that pressure all the time. Yeah, definitely. Every Canadian kid, Team Canada growing up, want to be that guy. And then lastly, on the 2010, on that Arizona League Dodgers team, do you remember your teammate that was a right-handed pitcher from Japan? Uh, Robert Booth. Was he, was he from Japan? <laughs> yeah, his name's Robert Booth and he's from Japan. <laughs> yeah. Uh there and there was another there was another guy also. There was two of them. Um Yeah, I didn't know Robert. I yeah, I was looking at the other yeah. guy, the Yeah, Takano. Takano? Kazui Takano? Yeah, Takano, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Robert Robert Booth was a six foot four Japanese guy. Wow. And uh and just lost it through 97 98 99 and then somebody would stand in the box and he would just he couldn't throw it anywhere near the plate he was so oh, terrified wow. to hurt anybody that's for just the nicest yeah. guy in the world and then i mean Takano was smoking cigarettes in the bullpen so <laughs> picking How's my great <laughs> he's an amazing dude they're just kids oh. those japanese guys are just children they smoke cigarettes and drink beer every single night and they just have yep. an absolute last and they are uh, there the culture and those people are i have so much fun with them and then they show up and perform right it's uh oh. it's impressive and, and he was like five foot eight 160 pounds oh really yeah like just a tiny little guy and just come in and throw seven different pitches from two different ways and didn't care just having fun smiling no big deal <laughs> life was easy <laughs> He always said they can't afford to send me back to Japan. So he was there to stay. And it's it's uh it's quite a life. And as you know, it's uh, it was a pile of fun. Yeah, definitely um definitely been very fortunate to kind of get to do what we did. And you know, and the fun part is now hopefully getting to help others kind of do the same thing. So it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um 
our kids and the kids that that we have i mean the generation of kids now is different than the generation of kids that we were and you have to take a bit of a different approach and that's always a a big time learning curve but um i'm i'm still so addicted to the game of baseball my wife just drives her bananas sometimes and um i'm addicted to pitching i just i love it i love everything about it i love the mentality and and what you have to go through to be a pitcher if you're if you're nine or you're 39 and uh it's the greatest game in the world as far as i'm concerned and nobody can tell me differently no i appreciate you coming on brand is there any shout outs before we sign off <laughs> uh just just my wife and kids um my wife's name is bobby joe she's at home right now uh waiting for me we're gonna go out in the boat and try and catch some pike out of pine lake and and my kids i've uh, uh i have a 24 year old stepdaughter named keely a 16 year old son named uh grayson and i have a, a nine-year-old boy named bentley and a five-year-old little girl who's going to be probably a canadian softball pitcher just look out her name denver <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. And then, and just, you know, guys that helped me along the way, like AJ, I always bring them up and I cannot say thank you enough to AJ Fistro. Um, yeah. And, and my mom and dad, they, they got me through and a, and a guy named, uh, Schultz to catch is his name. He, he helped me on the farm lots and, and gave me a job when he didn't have to. And he's still, he's moved to Delburn. He, looks after our kids he's like another grandfather for for my kids and and for me too so very grateful to have those people in my life she said come from a land down under where women glow and men thunder can't you hear can't you hear the thunder yeah you better run you better take cover yeah Better run, you better take cover